Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. I'm Dave Nassani, and I'm with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, here on the Caregiver Space, and I'm at caregiverdave.com. And we are having a great day. Aren't you having a great day, Adrian? So far. <laughs> so far, so good. Coming to you live yep. and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio shows and podcasts, networks, 25 global audio and video platforms, iHeart, Radio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, etc., 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 and we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on the top 50 on Player FM, and number two caregiver podcast on Caring Village, and number three caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of thousands. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today, um, Esther. You're going to have to help me with that last name. Let me see if I can try it. Mababzia. Mm. No, that was bad. What is it? My last oh. name is Mbabazi. Mbabazi? Mm. Yeah, I'll it, take that. Wow. The Mbabazi. M is mm. Yeah. Esther Mbabazi. Mm. And she lives I'll in Norway that. with her husband <laughs> and she has two children, ages 8 and 14. She's an oncology nurse. <laughs> And I'm a little distracted with my wife here. But um, she's going to talk all about cancer. And her mother had cervical cancer, and she beat it with treatment. And she has an idea about how scary it is for a loved one to be diagnosed with cancer. Esther's husband was diagnosed with cancer. Um, wow. I just lost a very dear friend with liver cancer. He was only 55. He left two young twins and a beautiful wife. It's devastating. So, Esther, uh, welcome to the show, and I usually like to ask my guests um, just who is Esther and why was she put on this earth? I like to solve other people. You like to solve other people's problems? Is that what you mean? Solve. I like to solve other people. Save? Nice solve. Save. S-E-R-V-E. I like to solve other serve. people. Serve. Okay, i got to get used to your accent here. I yes. Like to serve I like to other serve people. you. Yeah, I like to okay. serve other people. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, let's get right into it. You've got a lot of experience as an oncology nurse, right? Are you still okay. working as an oncology nurse? And were you uh, one in, in Uganda? No, I wasn't. I wasn't one in Uganda. I just uh, became one in Norway after. Oh, good for you. Yeah, uh, I work was, at a hospital. I work at a hospital. I work on a gastrosurgical unit, and wow. we yeah we have um, I don't want to say a lot, but we have many gastro cancer patients. Anything from esophageal to the rectum, anything in between. Right. Wow. Yes. So how has COVID affected your job and the hospital? I assume you've been very, very busy. Yeah, COVID has, not me personally, but it has affected our patients. They are, they are 
almost not allowed any visitors anymore. Right. Yeah. So it is only the ones who are on their deathbed that are allowed visitors or the ones who have newly been diagnosed with cancer, but they need that support. They're mm-hmm. the only ones who, who are allowed visitors. Yeah. And of course, we are scared and they are scared. We are scared of infecting them and they are scared of infecting us and vice versa. So we, we use protect, protective gear if we suspect if a patient has symptoms of COVID before we get the positive result or the negative result. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's hard to believe we've been dealing with this for one full year. Are things getting any better in Norway? In my area, we don't live in a big town. So in my area, it was we had a, a rough period right after Christmas because of all the travels. People are traveling mm-hmm. back and forth. But we, they contained it. They closed down some schools and, and swimming pools and all that to contain it. But I think we are good now. But Easter yeah. is coming, so I don't know. Easter is coming more travel because people don't really understand some people don't really understand or they don't want to understand or they don't make it a priority I don't know how is the the injection vaccination situation I got one and I have already gotten the first one we the healthcare workers have gotten their first injection. I got Astra Zinica. Mm, the Astra first thing. batch of yeah, the first batch of people got Pfizer. Then they are I think they they um, they ran out of Pfizer, I don't know, but we got Astra. So mm. we are waiting for the second one in a period of two months, I think. Mm-hmm. And I know some elderly people got vaccines, but I'm not sure which kind they got. So they are still vaccinating people out there. Yes. The elderly, Have you had any side effects or heard of any side effects? I haven't had. I haven't had any side effects myself, but my coworkers, many of them had fever. They were running a very high fever and shaking mm. and chills, and but it went away after around maybe 24 hours. So then it went away? Yeah. It went away. Yeah, I guess similar symptoms for flu shots, no? You get a flu yeah. shot, Adrian, don't you? Yeah, but I've never had a reaction. Mm. I'm lucky. I get my second shot on Friday. So, so you deal with caregivers as well, uh, and you're tell tell me what your duties are as an oncology nurse for us that are not familiar with how the nursing and the hospital system works and the cancer units and all of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, we see. A patient will come in with a symptom or two or three, maybe four. Typically, anemia, unintentional weight loss, blood in the stool, fresh blood in the stool, mm. night sweats, extreme night sweats, not the menopause ones, but the, you know, the cancer night sweats are different. Everybody different. knows that yeah, people have to wake up and change their bedding. That is how bad it is. Yeah. So they will come in with a few symptoms and the doctor 
or doctors or surgeons will look at the symptoms and they will, they will say, let us run a CT scan, some blood work, and maybe an MRI if they are not satisfied with the CT results. And then the patient will get their diagnosis. You have this cancer, we need to do biopsies of this and that. And then they'll have to wait for the biopsies, then they'll come back and they'll, sometimes they will be operated on, they will have surgery before the chemo. Sometimes they'll have chemo before surgery. There are reasons why yeah. it's like that. Uh -huh. Yeah, they have, yeah. So they that is how we get... the tumors, yeah. Yeah, to shrink the tumors, then they can go in and operate, then some more chemo and maybe radiation, depending on where the cancer is. Right. Yes. So that is how we get to know our patients. They come in with the symptoms then they get, and it is a scary time. You know. So, so is um, yes. do you deal with caregivers uh, as well, or not really? I deal uh, as I deal, quote unquote, because at the moment you hear when the doctors suspect it is cancer, know that we go in and ask the patient if they have anybody they would like mm -hmm. in the room because the doctor would like to go over certain things with them. When you are in that situation, you're not picking anything. The doctor is saying, you know, everything is going in here and right up right. the other ear. So you, many people need somebody to help them, like, soak up the information, then break yeah. it down later for them. So, but not everybody has that somebody. Not everybody has somebody to come and be with them. Mm. So they'll, they will take the information and you will see that it is, there's like a wall there. Everything's just bouncing off. And, you know, then after they will ask you, what did she say? What did he say? You know, I didn't yeah, no. mm. yeah, it I've, is, I've felt that scary. way many times. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So we, when the caregiver is there, the spouse, the husband or the wife or the children, if it is the parents, the bigger children, the older children, the sister, the brother, mm -hmm. we will take them aside because they need to soak this information, like I said, and digest it and let it marinate. So we'll give them a day or two. Then we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, are, are things better? I know I asked you this before, but I mean, uh, from a year ago or from six months ago, have things calmed down a little? Uh, are people less uh, paranoid? Are are the staff more knowledgeable about what to do and, and handling things? Are are the PP um, is it PP or PPP? Uh, do you have enough PPE. of them? PPE. Do you have enough of everything that you need, etc.? Yes, right now we do. We didn't have in the start just like any other country because everything was just boom, abrupt. So now right. we have enough protective gear, more than enough mm -hmm. actually. We have more than enough and we now know what to do. We, we now know how to clothe ourselves, how to protect right. ourselves. And the, the doctors know what to do. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if a patient like that comes, they know how to treat them. All that was new and there was yeah. a lot of panic and fear and, you know, 
conspiracy theories that you know you yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, when when I forget my I keep forgetting my question. I have. I have a question. With with COVID, um, the the caregivers or the family members. Uh, can or cannot come into the hospital for cancer patients? Yes and no. Yes they, and no. Yes and no. Yes and no. The ones, at least where I work on my unit, yes, we, we have the power to, to allow them in or not. So we will look at things. It is individual situation. We will not take it as a whole. It is an individual. We judge from the individual situation. If the patient is on their deathbed, if the patient is disoriented and they need yes. somebody to speak for them, then they'll have their visitor coming because we don't know this patient and they cannot speak for themselves. Then right. we need somebody who knows them to come in with them and help us. So you're and the gatekeeper. <laughs> Sorry. And and that's an important <laughs> lesson to Kate. That's an important lesson to caregivers, because many times uh, d depends on your attitude and your negotiating skills and abilities to get through the head nurse or whoever is in charge, whoever the gatekeeper is. Uh, you know, you get more um, bees with honey than with vinegar, so to speak. And a lot of people get so frustrated with the system. And they take it out on you or whoever the gatekeeper is, and that's yes. not going to help at all. <laughs> In fact, it's going to hurt. I know. So my my I know. question was: um, yeah. I know you you're in the cancer ward and you do cancer things, but were they moving everybody around, and you were just doing stuff that that everybody was doing, because all hands on deck, uh, so to speak, at the height of COVID? Can you rephrase? Are you? Were I'm not you sure. I understood what you meant. In the in the height of the COVID pandemic, were you strictly isolated to cancer patients, or was the hospital in such uh, a state that everybody was doing everything? Didn't matter what your specialty was. It uh, we were briefed that a situation like that could arise, and maybe there would be need to do that, but it never happened. It okay. hasn't yet happened, and we hope it doesn't happen. But we were briefed and we were prepared. Yes. Uh, do do many or do any of the patients that uh, you were under for the last twelve months who had cancer, who you were treating, did any of them die? And if they did, was COVID the the cause, or no? I don't think so. There's no. a lot this, of I would good. imagine in in a, a, a gastro unit uh, because there is not a lot of um, respiratory involvement that that the the COVID aspect of it is lessened. That's what I would imagine, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, if you say so. <laughs> no, it's not a matter of my saying so. I mean, you didn't say at the beginning that my husband. She said it's true, so she confirmed husband, it. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my husband uh, had lung cancer. He passed from uh, lung cancer. So, uh, so they, I know, they have ventilators. I know, 
I know about yes. I know about um, how to work work with cancer nurses and yeah. be the one that that disseminates the information and when you first hear that diagnosis it's you're right it takes a while to digest mm -hmm. yeah and so um but let's talk about caregivers now um you talk about uh, why a living will is very important can you give some examples of um, patients who needed a living will and didn't have one, and what the consequences? What are the, what's the worst case scenario that can happen without a living will? I'm sure you've seen it all. Yeah, I have not seen it at all, but I have seen, you know, uh, if some. <laughs> yeah, there are certain types of cancers that I'm going to use the normal word that spread to the brain. And depending on where that cancer is on the brain, that is what causes the problem. People have, usually have brain metastasis, you know, cancer that spreads to the brain, and they are fine, yes. and they are okay. Mm -hmm. But when it spreads, it spreads to that part of the brain that has to do with congenital function, that is when there is a problem. Because overnight, your loved one, does not know you. They cannot even, they cannot speak for themselves and they cannot do anything. They are mm -hmm. irrational. It depends like where it is. I have seen people who are, who are manic. They have never been manic, but it's like a switch is switched on and they go 24-7, maybe three days without sleeping and they are talking non-stop. They don't even know what they are talking about. Mm -hmm. So, in a situation like that, the patient does not know their own best. They are not able to state their wishes. And this job falls on the relatives. And the relatives do not agree on mm -hmm. what is best. That is the right. dilemma. You mean A, I mean B, and then there is a fight that mm -hmm. adds a layer of stress the already stressful situation yeah. but mm, but when you state your wishes in the living will even if you become incoherent or disoriented they will just refer to the living will what did they say I see that is the importance of the living will now, I've been fortunate to never have to ask an oncologist any cancer questions because there hasn't really been any cancer in my family but like I said, I know a lot of people who have. So the ones who are shocked into hearing those words, cancer, what are some of the questions that they should ask their oncologist before they start any cancer treatment? There are many questions, but the number, I can say a few, I can go about a few. How, okay, what is the purpose of the treatment? Is it curative intent or palliative intent? Curative intent is when the intention of the treatment is to cure the cancer. Palliative intent is when the intention is to keep the cancer at bay, to stop it from spreading for a certain time, not all the time, but for a certain mm -hmm. time, 
this will improve your loved one's quality of life. Then the moment they don't get those treatments, the cancer will escalate. So they, people call it like upkeep chemo, some call it upkeep chemo, yep. you know, yeah. So that is one question you need to ask. But pain a good oncologist, yeah, yeah, pain management is individual. I have seen patients who have the same type of diagnosis, but one has extreme pain, the other has no pain. No pain. Yeah, so it, it all depends on the nerves around and what the tumor is pressing on. And so it is individual. We can't take it as a whole. It is individual and the, each individual is looked at individually. But when your loved one is in intense pain, ask mm -hmm. the oncologist to refer you to a palliative doctor. Mm -hmm. They are really good in pain management. And many of them, from what I have seen around in this country, they are uh, they have been working as uh, for, I I don't I have trouble saying that word in anesthesia. Mm. Say so, yeah, it is a very long word. They are doctors who are specialized in anesthesia, so they are very good with pain management. If your loved one is having trouble managing their pain. Ask your oncologist to refer them to a palliative doctor or palliative mm -hmm. team. Yes. We're, there are many we're questions. Take, we're going to take a break before we continue, and we mm -hmm. will be right back. Don't go away. Mm. And we're <laughs> back with Esther Mobazi, and uh, she's an oncologist nurse in Norway. Always wanted to go to Norway. Sounds like such a nice place. It snows there a lot, doesn't it? My next question to Esther is, um, it's so hard to focus in these days of COVID and everything. Uh, how do you focus on what you can do? And, and how should caregivers focus on what they should do? And how should patients focus? How should we all focus? We can't control other people. Well, there's right? a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian is frozen. Don't worry, he'll come back. No, you come back now. He'll come back. I can see me. <laughs> we we can't control other people. We can't control the system. And sometimes I see caregivers trying to control the system. Mm -hmm. Things tend to move slowly in the system, but there is nothing you can do about that. <laughs> you see many people getting annoyed and frustrated and irritated and I was there when my mother was diagnosed with, with, with cancer I I was that person who called every everyone every office to get her you know things moving around and get her treatment as soon as possible and I wore everybody down who was around me you know because you know I was crazy ring calling everybody and organizing meetings with my siblings to see how we can get this thing moving and um, my mother needed some pre-surgery tests because she was 63 at the time she needed an echocardiogram she needed other tests so i called people <laughs> to ask them to do their work I, my, in my head i thought they were not doing their work but they were doing their work that is their pace right 
So I wore everybody down. I wore myself down. I didn't even think what was best for my mother at that time. I didn't think about her. So I was just, you know. And the interesting thing is I didn't see that before when I was working as a nurse. I saw it after I behaved like that. Then I saw other people do the same thing. You know, and they are all tired and annoyed. People are annoyed at their relatives for not helping in the caregiving duties. They are annoyed at the system. They are annoyed at the MRI machine that is dead, that is not working. They are annoyed, they are annoyed, they are annoyed. And what, <laughs> this, <laughs> what this anger does, it goes out to you. It goes out to you, and then that anger emotion comes out reflects in your actions rage to the nearest people who are around you and who is that the person you're taking care of you're impatient with them the children if you have small children in the home you're impatient with them you're annoyed with them it's you know but if you step back you know in your head step step back in your head and uh -huh. try to analyze what it is i can control in this situation you know, I have like a small system. It is not mine. I learned it in a workshop. Like you, you, you have a drawer of different, a chest of drawers with different drawers. Oh, and the top drawer are the things you have control over. Okay, what are those? Do we have food in the home? That you have control over. In the next drawer are the things that you need you can do yourself but somebody else can come in and help you with those things for example i need to speak to my boss i need a few days of work i need somebody to sit with me as i speak to my boss as support okay we don't have food in the home i need somebody to help me get food that is the second lower thing you know I can't go out to the store myself. I need somebody to help me buy that food. Then in the third drawer are the things you don't have to think about now. Okay, spring break is coming up. Easter break is coming up. What are the children going to do? That can wait until Easter break is here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I have seen caregivers who are asking, what are we going to do during the summer? Mm -hmm. And it is December. And they are all worked up and they are not sleeping. You know, that can wait until the summer I say, you know, there's nothing you can do. And then the, the last drawer are the things you have no control over. Me and you, we have no control over the cancer. We don't know whether our loved one will make it. We don't know. We have no control over that. We just have to sit back and see what the treatment does. So me spending 24 hours awake doesn't help. No. So, but yeah, but this is a practice thing. It's like a mindset thing. You need to be talking to yourself all the time and bringing yourself in. I'm giving. To, I'm going to give an example of something that really shocked me. I had this patient, and they came in, and they were in very bad shape, very bad shape, pain, and they were throwing up, and they were, you know, helpless. So it took us maybe three hours to stabilize the patient and do whatever we needed to do and get them in a good, comfortable place. So I went to see what, how they were doing. Then I asked, how, how are you feeling? Then the patient said, I'm doing okay. 
situation who does not have the help I have. I'm like, what? Oh, he said, I'm doing fine. Um, I'm going to die. I can't do anything about that. Mm. Yeah. But I know my family loves me. My children love me. I love them back. I got their discard. I, I, I can't do anything about it. What? I had never heard of a person like that. Mm. So, he said, I can't fight it. I don't want to use, to use any more energy. I, don't, I can't fight it. The doctors have tried everything they can, and here I am. So, mm. I have, what did he say? What was the word? I have reconciled. Yeah, so I'm, I just want to have a good time with my family. And the moment they got stabilized and everything was up and going, they wanted to go home, to be home in those last days. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, wanted to be home in those last days, not to be the qual- them. quality of home versus yeah. versus yeah. a hospital bed. bed. But I've never seen anybody room. reconcile like that. Like I reconcile, mm. I, there's nothing I can do. I want mm-hmm. to go home and be with my family in the last these last days. What? I will never forget that patient. Never. Because we complain a lot. No. But he is a person who is dying. They are young. They are dying and they, they have reconciled with whatever yeah. is it, it is. Probably a strong that. faith as well. Yeah. And there's absolutely no way you can teach that to somebody. That's, no. that's an, inner, an inner thing. I think it is inborn. So self-care is very important for caregivers, and yes. as you know, 30% of them die before their loved ones do because of the stress. They internalize everything. It yes. turns to cancer. It turns to uh, ulcers. It turns to God knows what. In fact, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of caregivers were the ones who were coming in to your unit uh, for cancer treatments. But... Um, what can a caregiver do to avoid all of that and take care of themselves, put their needs first, put their oxygen mask on first? Yeah, you know, in the beginning of the caregiving duties, everybody's energized. I can do this. There's one who mm-hmm. told me, I'm going 24-7. I said, you can't do that. Then they said, watch me. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do this. I said, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. No, you watch me. I said, okay, I'll watch you. <laughs> so in the beginning, everybody's energized. I, I don't know whether it's the defense mechanism or what it is, but in the beginning, everybody's like, whoop, I mean, we have to fight this. We have to get back to where we were. I don't want to see my husband like that, my wife mm-hmm. like that, my father like that. He's a strong man. You know, I need to get him back there. But I don't... It is maybe easy for me to say, but we can't fix everything. That is something I have learned along the way. We can't fix our stuff. Sometimes we have to go through that stuff. So I usually tell my caregivers to pace themselves from the start. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Pace yourself. Don't take things for granted. 
ask your wife, your husband, what is it they need help with. Don't just assume and take over everything. I have a good friend of mine. She was a caregiver. She's she's one of those people who assumed their loved one could not do anything anymore. She zooped in and took over and took over. Mm. Six, six, six months in, she was burned down. So she stepped back, went to the, started going to the gym again a few minutes a week, like that, like that. She, she got her energy back. So she told me, I, I don't know, I thought my husband was helpless. So she had this conversation with her husband. And he asked, why didn't you let me do some stuff? <laughs> keep, keep them strong while they are strong. Yeah, yeah. You can groom uh, an invalid or you groom independence. Yeah. Yep. So I usually tell caregivers to don't give up all your hobbies. Of course, we are going to go individually. You can't, you can't just generalize, but keep your hobbies. It can be knitting. I know somebody who said knitting helped them grieve the loss of their husband. Yeah, knitting. Hmm? I'm one of those people. Support <laughs> yeah. groups. Yeah. Support groups. Because in support groups, you will meet people who are going through the same situation as you. You will share stories. And your story will help another person and vice versa. Mm. Hmm? I yeah. like the way you say my caregivers, like they're your patients, <laughs> they're your caregivers. Not many nurses will do that. Not many nurses will speak the way you're speaking, showing the compassion and the empathy and the really caring. Thank you. Now, there's a lot of great nurses out there, but, you know, I don't blame them. They're overworked, underpaid, uh, understaffed, mm -hmm. etc. cetera. And... Uh, you know, I feel sorry for them. Mm. So um, I'm curious, uh, are you working long hours or have you been over the last year, you know, 18-hour uh, days, two two shifts uh, a day, anything like that? I have done those in the past, but uh, I am not now. You were younger. <laughs> yeah, not now. <laughs> not now. But I, I, I would like to say one thing that I hear caregivers say. I, they say, nobody's offering me help. <laughs> the thing is, you have to tell people exactly what you need help with. Yeah. Don't just say, help me. <laughs> you need to be precise. You can say, can you help me go to the store, pick up X, Y, Z? Can you help me drive my husband or my wife to the treatment center to get her treatments? You know, that is being right. concrete. Can you help me watch my children while I go out to get some fresh air? Because See, I think you have heard. Hmm? Dave has heard me say this many times. You, you, you're walking down the street and you're talking to somebody and they said, anything I can do for you, just call me and let me know. And... The caregiver doesn't ask for anything. You have to be ready and know what you need and know what you want. People will help you when you're very specific. Mm. You're absolutely right. Another yep. thing I hear, I hear mostly, this is from the people who have grown up children 
and maybe the wife is taking care of the husband who is their father or stepfather mm-hmm. then they will complain that the children do not chip in mm-hmm. but the same caregiver is giving is giving a signal that she or he is doing this job very well yeah they're so, not good enough for this person for this person who has never been a caregiver they don't know what you need help with one i i told one person here to ask her children to chip in to pull resources so that she could afford a cleaner someone to come and clean the home and they did that the first time she asked they did it and she had never asked so <laughs> say what you want don't just say don't they see me i'm taking care of their dad oh, no they don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah they are busy yeah. there's corona and covid and everything everybody is occupied homeschool everything they don't so let's say what you mean what you would like help with have you ever Something been a caregiver to... have you ever been burned out um mentally <laughs> with the nursing yeah. job yeah, I was a I was a, a caregiver. I was taking care of my mom, not not physically, right. but uh, yeah, you know, the coordinating things and all that. And I have been a perfectionist, so yeah. How how long have you been in Norway? Thirteen years. And that's a long time. And where was your mother when in you Uganda. were? Yeah, long distance caregiving is. Yeah very much in your head yeah and yeah. uh, I, I know <laughs> the hospitals are bad there and you know your mother had colon cancer cervical cervical so that means she had a bag yes no she didn't she survived that they thought they were going to do that but they didn't well, you've seen people with bags, right? Oh, what yeah. what yeah. special things? I mean, is that really the end of the world or is it not so bad? It depends on your mindset. <laughs> yeah. It depends on how you look at things, you know, how we look at things different differently so. But uh, I usually tell my patients, what is the alternative? That's a good point. So what are the challenges when someone is diagnosed with, let's say, colon cancer? Challenges. Can you give me more? <laughs> well, your mother had what kind of cancer again? Cervical. Uh, cervical. cervical. Yeah. So what kind of challenges uh, does someone with cervical cancer have? After treatments? Yeah. Yeah. You know... Depending on what kind of treatments, if it is radiation, radiation can create scar tissue. Yeah. And if you're married and you have an active sex life or intimacy, scar tissue causes problems. Yes. So we encourage people, our patients, because colorectal cancer can cause scar tissue from the radiation. Many colorectal cancer patients get radiation and they get scar tissue and nerve damage and all that. So we encourage them to see a, a, what do they what are they called? A sexologist 
somebody who who has training in 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 intimacy. Oh, I don't want to say sex. Yeah. I don't want to say sex. Yeah. Yeah, sex therapist. And I have attended twice their lectures and they were not what I thought because I was scared it, it's like maybe too 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 raw. It wasn't at all. So we encouraged you went on behalf of your mother? No, I went in my job. I attended mm. it as yeah. Training. So we learn how to talk to our patients. Mm-hmm. Because we have prostate cancer patients and they have the same problem. Yeah. Prostate cancer and uh, colorectal cancer and cervical cancer, anything that gets radiation down there, it creates scar tissue. Mm-hmm. And it's painful and yeah, it, it can pose challenges. So couples need to see a therapist to help yeah. them. I hear so much about new therapies, you know, that is going to make chemo and radiation obsolete. Uh, How far away are those? I mean, I uh, there's a thing going on on the internet, and I know I shouldn't believe everything on the internet. Yeah, (laughs) um, that uh, there's a dewormer for dogs, and that people are taking it, and they are being cured. Yes, cured (laughs) is the word they use of cancer. Is there any way that a dog dewormer can cure a person of cancer? I don't know. I haven't heard of the dioma, but I saw on TV that dogs are now trained or being trained to to smell the cancer. Smell. Yes. Yeah, I saw. I saw that on TV. So, and I saw recently there is something they are developing in the states there. I don't know, something to do with the immunity again. They are going to use the immune, immune body's immunity system in another way, not with not like immunotherapy, but in yes. another way. Yeah, I saw it, I think, yesterday or the other day on TV. So let us see where this, where we are headed. No, I've seen the, I've seen the dog warmer bit on the Internet too, Dave. And, what do you um, think about that? I, I'm certainly skeptical. And you never know. It could be that someone is so vested. (laughs) It could be a breakthrough. And it could just be that somebody believes enough, really, really believes enough that this is doing something, that their state of mind. And I don't check their their motives because, you know, it's it's the pharmaceuticals that have the profit motive. And this guy is saying, hey, you can get it at the drugstore. It's over the counter. The big pharma doesn't want to tell you about it because, right. you know, they want you to spend money on all these cancer drugs. You know, and there's so much distrust about big pharma yeah. that 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 argument flies, you know. Of course. Have you heard of and the... They owe it to themselves because they've done it to themselves, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of the shark cartilage? Uh... The shark I don't know, but uh, every time I ask my orthopedic surgeon, he says, you cannot grow cartilage. But I hear all over the place that you can regrow cartilage. So tell me what you know. Shark cartilage is more like that dog shark, thing. Like the shark, shark in the like water. the shark, like the, yeah? yeah? Shark, yeah. I have seen, <laughs> I have seen, I don't want to laugh, maybe it works for <laughs> some people, but I have seen patients spend money on supplements that mm-hmm. are made from the shark cartilage. Somewhere, 
uh, someone in this world told people that sharks do not get cancer. So, many or arthritis probably, huh? <laughs> so people are buying those supplements and they are not cheap. No. They are not cheap, so they are buying them and they are taking them alongside chemotherapy. But I'm yet to see the results. You know, the ones that I know that took them, they are not here anymore. But yeah. they, are, they, are, they were quite expensive, I think. Yep. Yeah, Charlene and, went and... too. But Go ahead. I was, was going to say my wife, who had a stroke and lost her speech, lost her paralysis on one side, she went to this doctor. We gave her $10,000, and uh, she was from Africa also. And she um, had these herbs, and and you know she got them from all over the world, and and um, you know she claimed to uh, be able to stop the cancer even if it's stage four. Well, she's in jail now because they claim that she was defrauding people with uh, with cheap herbs and pills and this and that, and uh, the people ended up dying. But. Yeah, you just don't know what to believe anymore. You want to believe, you People want to have hope. People try, you know. If 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 they're desperate, they will grasp at straws. They'll try anything. Yeah, yeah, So uh, taking care of a spouse <laughs> obviously can be challenging. I will attest to that. What do you <laughs> know about the disease, treatments, and side effects? Um, and why is it? harder taking care of a spouse. Uh, you're wearing two hats. You're a husband or a wife, and you're a caregiver. And sometimes a caregiver doesn't get the respect that a husband or wife, or maybe I should say that vice versa, sometimes <laughs> the husband and wife doesn't get the respect that a strange, stranger caregiver would give. You know, They're very difficult patients. Have you had any experience? Yes, of course you have, your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you, you had so many questions in one. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good at that. <laughs> Just pick one and answer it. <laughs> you said, why, why is it hard to treat a, a loved one, to be a caregiver of a loved one? Spouse. Yeah. A spouse. A but, you spouse, know, yeah. uh, a parent is just as hard as a spouse, I think. Maybe even harder. I don't know. Harder. Harder, because I know somebody who told me at the peak of COVID around June last year, she told me, like their roles had reversed. Her parents were behaving like teenagers. They were going out, they are meeting their friends, they were not listening, and they are in their wow, risk. Is that good or bad? <laughs> yeah, because they have other diseases, they were in the risk category, and they were just mm -hmm. going out to meet friends, and she told, she talked to them, and they wouldn't listen. Mm. So I told her Imagine to let, let them Payback. be. Yeah, let them be. So I think, I don't know, I think it is challenging to become to be a caregiver to a loved one because you wish them the best you want to see them come out of whatever it is they are going through you want to take care of them at the same time they are their own person they need to do what they want to do and when they don't listen to you then there's tension there you understand they are their own person but you wish them well and they do not see, they are not able to see that what you're telling them to do or how you're taking care of them is for their own good. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That is how I see it. And they think it creates strife. 
There is a patient who told me they were tired. Everybody telling them what to do. So I'm going to show up. <laughs> you need to show up at 9 a.m. for this treatment. And you need to be in bed by this time to rest your body. You need to eat this food to maintain weight. You need, you need, you need, you need, you need. And they were fed up. They were fed up of those rules. And other people will just comply because we are different. Other people will just comply with whatever it is they are being told and others will resist. And that will, sure. create, will create friction between the caregiver and the patient or the care receiver. So you need to let them be. Let people be. <laughs> However, However, boundaries work both ways. So when your loved one or your care care receiver, your spouse, lands in trouble, they cannot expect you to drop whatever it is you have to take care of them because they don't want to listen to you. They want to do things their own way. And when their own way lands them in trouble, then they cannot come back running to you. So you drop everything you have to, you know? I think it works like that. Sounds like our Mm -hmm. kids. Yeah, boundary is a two-way street. Role reversal. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know, but that is a big challenge. Do you think the caregiver and the loved one have the same understanding of the impact of the disease on the family as a whole? Or is one kind of absorbed in themselves and a little selfish, uh, you know? No. I I don't know whether I'll say selfish. Because... Selfish is a dirty word. Nobody wants to be selfish. (laughs) But they can be self-absorbed because it's, it's their illness, it's their body. I mean, my wife certainly was, you know, uh, of the attitude, hey, it's all about me. And, and it is there for a while until they get better and then they still think it's all about them and then you have to remind them, no, it's not all about you. It's all about me too, you know. <laughs> yeah, because a cancer diagnosis can mean death. So they are probably worried and they are not able to focus on any other thing. They're just thinking about maybe I'll die, maybe I'll not die, maybe I'll make it, maybe I'll not make it. And they're oblivious to whatever it is that is going on. So I need, I think it is, I think it is best to have some compassion from that angle. You are not facing death, the caregiver, and they are facing death. Right? So death is scary. It is scary. So... Some people are acting from that angle, I'm going to die, you know. So what I would say to a caregiver is to seek services of a therapist to help them deal, sort with with all the thoughts that are going in their head to create a better atmosphere at home. Because if you learn to control your mind, your thoughts, you, because everything starts with us. It doesn't start with the other person. It starts with us. 
If you want a better environment at home, it starts with me, not with my husband, but with me. So if I learn how to work my mindset, how to sort my thoughts, then maybe it will rub off of him, rub off me to him. <laughs> so we advocate, okay. yeah, we advocate mental health services to both the patient and the mm. caregiver. And the children, if they have small children in the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. People well, underestimate the importance of having a therapist or a licensed counselor, psychologist, anybody. It is very important. I, I went to, there was a, so, so, a social worker and a psychiatrist who treated us as a couple uh, at uh, the, at the place where my husband was having treatment, and it was invaluable. It really was. Mm. So, well, it's hard to believe that a whole hour has passed. Um, <laughs> I I am so grateful that you came on the show. You've enlightened us to many things. Is there uh, in the last uh, two three minutes? Is there something that you want to say that uh, you did not have an opportunity to say? Many things. Many things. <laughs> <laughs> many, many the things. most important. Pick one. <laughs> Pick one. As a caregiver, you cannot do it all. You have probably heard this one million times, <laughs> but you cannot do it all. You need help. Ask for help. There is nothing to be ashamed of, and this this will depend on how the relationship was before the cancer came in. But instead of carrying around resentment in you, try to sit with your loved one and talk about how you feel, and mm-hmm. have them talk about how they feel to clear mm-hmm. the air so you do not carry around resentment, because resentment yeah. is a bad thing. That's exhausting yes. if you carry it around. <laughs> yes. So how can someone get a hold of you if they have a further questions they want to ask? Are you going to write a book or anything? No. <laughs> no, you should. <laughs> you have a lot of stories to tell. Do I? And, and a well, lot just, of wisdom. You just told us a lot of stories today. Can, and you said, I have many things to share. That's why you need to write a book. Yes, I do. Thank you. Yeah. I have Next time a I have website. you on, we'll be talking about your book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a website that's called arisehaven.com forward hmm. slash. I have to begin again. The website is called arisehaven.com. But I have a free guide for caregivers who are just starting mm. their caregiving duties. It's on ariseheaven.com forward slash pausal care guide. Forward slash. Forward slash what? Spousal care guide. Spousal care guide. Spousal care guide, yes. E-O-U-S-A. And uh, Haven, Haven is H-A-V-E-N, com. Forward slash spousal care guide. H A V or H E A V? Haven. 
Oh, H-A-V-N. Thank you for yeah. clarifying that. Haven. Yeah. I started a website like last week. Ah! A, a podcast, sorry. A podcast last week. Good for you. Mm-hmm. You I did started, one already? I have 10 episodes on there. How are they going? But, um, you who says that you're not very tech savvy is doing a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I I <laughs> thought I had done everything right and I didn't get any downloads or anything, so I asked somebody to check and I had not done it correctly. So they helped me. They helped me. Well, what you is still it have the episode. You didn't lose them, right? No, I didn't. Good for you. So my podcast is called the Rethinking Caregiving Podcast. Wow, your heart mm. is really into caregiving, even even though you're a nurse. Good for you. Yeah. Mm. Part of a caregiver. I'm writing it down. <laughs> rethinking, rethinking caregiving podcast. Ooh, you need to rethink how. Yeah, we need to rethink how people look at caregiving and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. We would be happy to be on your show if you want us to. Uh, I will. I will. I just need to get yeah. every, in and understand things, and I, I don't lose you in the middle of the interview. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, well, but you have I will. Is there cont- Is there contact information on your website? About the podcast? No, how to get how to get oh, yes. you? Yes, it is there. Okay, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. It was delightful, and I can't wait for us to be on your show. Well, so everybody, so we'll much. see you next time, same time, same channel. Bye bye.